gentlemen it is your boy sam gilstrap this is the ghost lights podcast episode 42 with our amazing guest stephen whites hello stephen 42 is the answer to everything that's right baby yeah (laughs) you're special now you are special i mean you're joining us via zoom this is technically episode two of the ghost lights podcast in this new incarnation yeah well welcome to the welcome to the future that's right. We are we are we are sitting in the future. I know it looks like a dingy single man's bedroom, um, but it is not. I've got pillows here just for added comfort because mm-hmm. in the future, comfort nope. is paramount. That's all we have left. <laughs> That's all we have left. Um, today's unofficial sponsor um, at the Sadly Manor, where I am dining, is Basil Hayden's on the Rocks. What do you got for us out there? Avery IPA. Support your local breweries. Mm. Indeed, sir. Do that As if you we were can. Getting ready to film, we had a little tragedy. We had a, a a loss of a glass of whiskey, which in these you know sad times is precious cargo. So yes. pour one, pour one out for my whiskey into my mouth. <laughs> yeah, de- definitely. Don't don't spill this on your bed. No, mm-hmm. no, mm-hmm. folks. Um, our producer, as always, in this new way, this new age of the ghost lights is uh, Dan Ribb. He may chime in should he feel the mood to do so. Otherwise, he is basically the facilitator with the mostest. Um, I know it doesn't rhyme, nor is it catchy. Yeah, you told me I could chime in as the voice of God last time, so we'll see if uh, I do that. That's right. The God Mike. He is a stage manager, and he knows how to use it. Perfect. Yeah. Ah, So, Stephen, before we dive into the Ghost Lights podcast, how do you think your Eagles are doing in this weird time of not actually meeting with draft picks if you're an NFL. It's so weird that like any of that is happening. Like it's, I can't, first of all, it's so strange to not have any sports on television. Like it's, it, it, you don't realize how, as a sports fan, how reliant you are until it's completely gone. And then you realize what a stupid junkie you are, you know? Uh, (laughs) So that's, that's bizarre to begin with, but, but then like, there's still things happening. So, and you can't not look, you know, all you have time to do every day is read the news and whatnot. And mm-hmm. when you're trying to, to avoid the other stuff and you're reading sports news and it's like, wait a second, people are handing out, you know, $40 million contracts to football players <laughs> without having any knowledge of if there's going to be a football season of what the economy is going to look like. Will anyone be able to afford a, a football ticket or a, yeah. or a, uh, NFL live package, you know, it's just, it's such a bizarre disconnect. Having said that, I think the Eagles have been uh, prudent and cautious and addressed some areas of need. Still curious what they're going to do at wide receiver. I'd like to see Prashad Perriman come on board, maybe. Oh, okay. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think we've made some decent steps. Who did Perriman play for last season? Uh, the Bucks. He was all they had left standing, and when uh, Mike Evans oh, got right. got hurt, yeah. yeah. Well, and we all know who they signed. Yeah, they. Hey, if you've got those guys in your dynasty pool, that looks more interesting for sure. It really does. Hopefully, there's a season. 
<laughs> exactly. Otherwise, <laughs> you might have to do it like, uh, you know, uh, old school style. I used to play this game when I was a kid called APBA football, A-P-B-A. It's an acronym for something. But it was a game that each team had a deck of cards um, for each player. Okay. And, uh, and then, like, you rolled die based on the play you called. And then you looked on the card to see what the die roll meant. And it was like plus four yards, minus three yards. If you rolled double sixes, it was like 66 yard touchdown. Um, and it was the like nerds paradise football game when I was, you know, Dungeons and Dragons kid. It was fantastic. Um, so uh, we may have to go back to that and simulate seasons based on APA football. Absolutely. Um, if you can uh, forward us like a spreadsheet of all the rules, that'd be great. Oh, the, I just checked the website the other day, bizarrely, and uh, <laughs> they're still in business. So, oh, Abla, Abpa, A B P A, I believe. Oh, we'll have to definitely look that up. Dan, write that down in your notes. Noted. All right, here it is, Stephen. Theater. How did it happen? Well, the Greeks began. <laughs> um, uh, I assume you mean personally. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I started yes. in theater pretty young. Um, I was I played Santa Claus in second grade. Wow, you already uh, had the beard in se in second grade, huh? No, but I had the fat, so I think that was the the, the casting choice. I think was like okay. really is <laughs> rotund in this red suit. Um, but, uh, yeah, I remember the whole like little backstage, like gimmick ladder that I could scooch down to jump down the chimney. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it was, all, it was pretty high tech for second grade. Um, so that was my, uh, I believe, uh, oh, what was her last name? Gretchen. I can't remember her last name played the kid I was visiting. Mm -hmm. Um, there were some reindeer involved. Uh, so that was my, my debut. Um, and then I was I was pretty active in middle school in, in such vehicles as Vaudeville's My Home uh, and others. Um, and I was really fortunate. I, I grew up in a little town in Pennsylvania called Bloomsburg, but uh, I was really lucky that both my high school had a very robust uh, theater program that was led by a woman named Deanne Castile, um, who really touched a lot of kids' lives in, in a, a profoundly meaningful way um, through the theater program that she ran, um, which was also very good. Um, it was, sorry? What grade was that? Uh, that was in high school. So that okay. was in 12th. Um, so I kind of had that on one side. And then um, my wife, Rebecca, and I grew up in the same town. We were, we were both very lucky to have a professional theater company in our small town um, called the Bloomsburg Theater Ensemble which was founded by a bunch of uh, Northwestern grads who kind of followed their, uh, their role model, uh, whose name was Elvina Krauss, who was kind of a famous teacher back in the day. And they, she retired to Bloomsburg and they said, well, we want to keep learning. And she said, well, if you want to move to Bloomsburg, I'll keep teaching you. And a bunch of them did. And they started this company and they're in their 40 something season now. And uh, a lot of the original ensemble members are just starting to think about retirement and things like that. Mm -hmm. So I kind of had that on the other hand of shows that we went to with my school or with my family and education programs that I was a part of there. Uh, both Rebecca and I went back and performed there. She directed there um, when we were older, but you know, for a small mostly rural town uh, in Pennsylvania, we were really blessed with a lot of, you know, great theatrical influences. 
Um, and that's kind of, you know, I, I, I started in musicals. I, I was uh, uh, the plant in Little Shop of Horrors and Don Quixote and Man of La Mancha. And so that was kind of my roots and then uh, kind of went from there. Wow. What, what was it about theater that, that grabbed a hold of you? Was it just something that you were good at and you were like, fuck yeah, I'll do this? Or was it? Um, partly. It was, um, uh, it's funny because if you, if you kind of look at the person I was in high school, in some ways it's a microcosm of the person I grew up to be. I was an athlete, you know, in, in some ways I had one foot in the jock camp. I played football. I played baseball. Uh, I was on the swimming team for a while. And, uh, and the other foot, I, I had this creative outlet and it was music and theater. I, um, I would say my involvement of, in theater may in part have been um, driven by my music experience. Uh, I was pretty active in chorus and some small madrigals and things like that. And, and our theater program was kind of heavily musical driven. Mm-hmm. So I suspect if you went back and tracked it, you'd find that, that my musical uh, involvement kind of drove it as much as anything. Um, but I think that, you know, in the same way that running a theater company and being a sports fan and BSing about fantasy football, uh, fills two different, you know, being a political junkie kind of fills different buckets in your life. And, and I think that, um, the theater and music and things like that did that for me when I was in high school. Um, you know, I was also really in looking back at it, we weren't, there were pressures to pick, but just about everybody I knew in high school that was involved in the arts was also involved in athletics or student council or, you know, I mean, there, there, it was pretty multidimensional. And I, I don't think kids necessarily have that luxury anymore of uh, not having to specialize, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I remember, you know, just loving that kind of mix of people that you got to kind of jump back and forth before and between. And, and, and there were people who didn't understand it, of course, or didn't appreciate it and uh, on both sides. And, and that's kind of life. Yeah. Have you, have you noticed that as you've created this, I mean, a career opened your own theater that you see that uh, those types of mixes of people remaining, remaining constant or. It's interesting. I um that's a good question. I, I think that um, as you get deeper down the road, like any field, I'm sure, you tend to winnow some of the, um, the dabblers, the dilettantes, you know? Um, mm-hmm. so you tend to end up with more of the, the committed people and the folks who are, are really invested in it. And those people do tend to be more specialists you know um they tend to be really focused on their craft and focused on their art and you know as you move through college and grad school and into the professional world and thing like that i I think you do see that kind of narrowing um i for one and and maybe you feel this way too i've I've always wondered why there wasn't (laughs) the sports has always been such a big part of my life and i've I've always wondered why there wasn't more overlap um you know person like you I know who 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 loves sports there's 50 who you know hate it or, or don't want to pay any attention to it and I've always felt like you know look sports is the the it's one of the realest played out in real time dramas that we have in our life you know and I've never understood why more theater people weren't like huh there's there's something compelling about that 
in a way that we try and capture in what we do on stage. So um, I've never quite put together why there wasn't more overlap there, but. Uh, yeah, I, I find that, I mean, I think there's, I, it, there's like a culture thing. Like my mom hated my love affair with football and sports because the, the people that picked on her when she was in yeah. band and so on and so forth, we're all athletes. They're all the jocks. And so, I mean, from that perspective, I totally get it. Um, it was so surprising for me, like when I was at Metro and I found a theater friend who loved the Broncos and we would talk ad nauseum about what they were doing and how they performed this last weekend and why the hell were we the only two people that were watching the games on Sundays when we had a show at 6 p.m., you know, like why that mattered. And I was so thankful for that guy because it made that was that was really my first place where like, oh, maybe I do belong. Like not, I can do the job, sure, to this, at this collegiate level, but then like with the people around, like oh, there's I kind of fit here. Yeah, he makes me feel like that. And I mean, it's, it's sports is so entwined in everything. Like what you were saying before, we really got it dove in here. It's what we're dealing with now. That's the first news I check, and maybe that's a bad thing because you should be as up to date as possible with what's going on in your state and your community. And then the, the the American world as a whole, but um, yeah, it's like um, it might be the it might be the second news that I check, but you know you can't you oh, got you got to find something to 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 free your brain a little bit, you know, if you if you bury yourself in all the current news and whatnot, it's it's too much. Nobody can nobody can kind of process it all and deal with it all, and um, so having a thing like that, as as I said, as weird as it is that you know, people are doling out contracts and right. um, talking about who's a legit Super Bowl contender seems so strange. Um, but, uh, you know, it's all right, I think, for both of those things to exist simultaneously. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, especially if that's, if we, if that is our entree into, like, certain forms of drama. Yeah. Being, like, being tied into a team and that, that kind of thing. And like, yeah. You hear so many people talking about, you know, and, and, and I think our world is, is closer to it because these are our friends and these are our comrades and our colleagues. And you hear so many people talking about how the arts is, is serving as a ray of light for people in this time and, and how this will, uh, you know, awaken a new appreciation for people of what it's like to live without the arts. And I think that that's all true and, and, and uh, a silver lining to what we're going through. In the same way, other people have different outlets you know other people continue to find that ray of light through sports or uh, through you know different art forms and things like that um mm -hmm. and none of them are less valid or, or through faith or through you know any any number of things none of them are less valid than another whatever i think brings you a, a touchstone in this storm to go hey this grounds me a little bit this you know reminds me that there's a community of people out there like me um Mm -hmm. that's a good thing that we all need that right now absolutely um with that how did you how do you feel your your place with betsy kind of taps into that community in boulder like or is it is it just boulder like you could do betsy anywhere or is it something that's specific to that location I mean, it's 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 both in one sense you could do it anywhere and that the shows we do you know they're not restricted to the people in Boulder or the people that surround our community. Mm -hmm. um, I'd like to think that our shows could serve a, a broad 
variety of people in lots of different communities. Um, at the same time, you know, that's, we, we always, since very, very early on in our history, have always thought of our audience as the Betsy family. Um, and we refer to them that way a lot. And, and in many ways, that's true. You cultivate a, a relationship with people over a long time. You know, we've had subscribers now who've seen, you know, we have a group of people who've seen every production we've done for 14 years. Um, and at that point, you are, you do have an intimate relationship with those people. Even if, you know, you, you don't know the intimate details of each other's lives, you've shared enough hours and you've shared enough emotional journeys that uh, there is something there that can't be replicated. So, um, you know, we're, we're very conscious of what our community is going through, not just with us, but, you know, all of the people who support us, support other companies and, and to go from the thriving art scene that we have to zero essentially overnight mm -hmm. is really hard for, for people who, who, for whom that's a big part of their life. Um, so we're doing everything we can to think about different ways to communicate with them and different ways to provide them with, um, you know, a little, like I said, a little ray of light in, in, in all this. Um, we can't produce a full show. Uh, we can't rehearse. We can't do all those things, but we can still tap into the the creative and, and talented people we know and hopefully reach out to them and, and just provide a little, you know, a little goose in these, in these times. Because um, whatever form you get it in, uh, we need it. And it's just going to get harder, you know, as the, the deeper we get into this and the longer it goes on. Mm -hmm. uh, people's sense of isolation and people's, you know, longing for some kind of contact is going to get more uh, acute and, and we want to be there because these are our people. Absolutely. Uh, have you felt that the, the power that theater specifically, this art form has, has it changed for you? Do you find that the value has grown as you've, as you've progressed your career or, is it something that's remained constant for you? Like once it grabbed hold, you're like, oh shit, this is a different level. I think it's shifted uh, more than, than grown or lessened. Um, one of the things I always remember about being a, a young theater student and being surrounded by other, you know, excited, wide-eyed college practitioners was, you know, we all believed and we all said and we were all told that theater can change the world, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and as you get a little older, I think you, you come to understand the world a little bit more. At least my experience was that, nah, I don't, I don't think that's necessarily true. I don't, I don't think theater can change the world, but what I think you, what you also come to understand is theater can change individuals. Theater can really profoundly affect single people or small groups of people in, in profound ways and people can change the world. So, you know, by by extension, theater can change the world, but only if we really affect people in a meaningful way and they carry it forward and enact change in the world. Um, so I think that's the shift that I've seen uh, in my life of, I'm not trying to, to solve the problems of the world. I'm not trying to, uh, highlight things we all know to be true about the world. I'm trying to shake people's perceptions in a way that allows them to go, huh, I never thought about it that way, or I never thought about a particular person's journey that way. Um, because that I think is where our real power lies, um, just in terms of, you know, hey, a thousand people come see a show, 
maybe 900 of them enjoy it and maybe 10 of them leave feeling like they actually had some kind of profound uh, change happen within them and that's all right that that means you did well um because those people become your advocates and your extension into the community and and hopefully that leads to positive change and i think that's our, that's got to be our goal absolutely have you is there like a personal moment for you where you felt that shift come where you're like oh it's it's more detailed than just broad strokes world fixing specifically but you know i i definitely remember as as we you know sort of progressed through our company um i think it's also a, a result of uh going from you know kind of younger wide-eyed freelance artists to hey we have a company and a responsibility and uh you know different things that we have to take care of in order to keep this operation going and people who count on us um, and I think that helps shift your philosophy as well of it's, it's, you know, when I was a freelance actor and director, it was a little more carefree of, I just go in and do my thing and have fun and let my creativity run wild. And there, there's not the same responsibility attached to it of, Hey, I have a group of people, employees and patrons and artists who rely on us. And therefore it requires a little shift in thinking, a little shift in perspective as far mm -hmm. as um what we're actually doing here and why it's important yeah it, then that hasn't like you don't feel like it's like forced you to pull back on what you try and put out there no i i, I think it's actually the opposite in a lot of ways in that yes. you you it hones your focus on who it's for um mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I was always a little bit of a schizophrenic actor in that I, I kind of had a director's instinct uh, from the time I was, you know, in college. And it was hard to be an actor in a room and not be looking around with a sort of bigger eye going, oh, wow, does that make sense? Or, you mm -hmm. know, does that, does that all tie together the way we think it does? Um, and I think as you, as you, adopt kind of the mindset I was just talking about, it makes you hyper aware of who it's for. Um, and it's for them, it's for the audience, it's for the people who come to spend their time with us and spend their resources with us. Uh, you know, I, I think for some of us, uh, me included, acting can be kind of a selfish craft of my experience and my journey and is this honest and does it feel true to me um all of which is important as part of the craft but not if you lose sight of the fact that it's for them what we do is a is we play for them mm -hmm. um, and if they aren't getting the 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 juice if they aren't getting the meat then it doesn't matter what we feel or how how the experience is for us so if anything i think that 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 realization of why we're here is to try and change people and affect people and make them less codified and calcified forces you to remember who you're doing it for mm. absolutely that's a great point uh, when I, I know one of my biggest struggles, especially when I was young, and even now I, I know I get bogged down in the same things that affected me when I was a young actor, fresh out of college, was this whole like, 
I had, I always thought about the show as like a bigger picture as opposed to breaking it down and trying to be focused on what my job was. And for lack of a better phrasing, just doing my job, you know, role specific. And once I got into that place, the performance stuff was easier. But then when I directed later on in life, then you had to pull yourself out of that whole mindset. It's helpful to be able to break down a, a character or a moment individually, but then to like disseminate that focus, the entire group at this, like, this is the, this is the vision. This is the theme for lack of a better metaphor. And then like try and getting them to buy into that. And I think that is where you get, that's where you get precision acting is when you got them all bought in. Yeah. But I think what you're saying is exactly, you know, that's a, that's a great director skill is to be able to break down something into what's the function of this character. What's the function of this moment. They all serve a greater whole and, and we have to be able to, to, break them into subsets of why are they here and what do they do? Um, it, it can be, it can feel surgical in a way if, if you let it get too far, but at the same time, it's, it's, I think it's vital to, when you sit in the room as a director, you are the audience, you are the person crafting the journey for the audience and heightening this or lessening that or shifting focus there. And you can only do those things if you have that same understanding that you were talking about of, of what is the purpose? What is the function? Why did the playwright put that, you know, why, why did they put these words in this character's mouth at this moment? Um, what does that mean? Because that's what allows you to weave the narrative for the audience um, and to guide the actors in weaving that narrative. Uh, as long as you're, as well as your tech team and all that kind of thing. So I, I think that's a really important skill um, of being able to kind of pull the threads apart so you can see what the weave is and put it back together for the audience. For you, when you get a new script, like, okay, this is on the season. This is up. These are the, this is the show I'm directing first. Like what, what excites you about that? Like take me through that process. Like what gets your juices flowing when you've got that new, paperback in your hand uh I, I tend to to direct more from a place of terror um so i i, I kind of try and uh, procrastinate as long as possible and then you know let it overwhelm me to the point where i hope my creativity will bail me out <laughs> um, um but the, it's seriously i'm not um i'm a little bit of a marinator um i like to just kind of read it and read it and read it and let you know, when I do that, certain things start to resonate with me and I'll go, oh, that phrase I love in act two actually connects back to that thing that somebody says in act one. And and that's where the, the kind of web starts to form for me. And then, you know, I'll, I'll go through and read it just, you know, uh, specifically for props or specifically for lights, you know, just kind of thinking about what's happening at this moment in the visual world of the play or what's happening at this moment in the aural world of the play. Um, I don't, uh, it's funny. I had a, a great acting teacher or a great directing teacher in college um, who, who taught me a lot and he was very meticulous and kind of about process and, and script analysis and things like that. And, and my process tends to be much more um, fluid than that. 
Um, I want to kind of feel it and live in it and, and, and let things percolate to the surface for me. Um, and that's exciting. You know, I, I often describe my process of directing as uh, mile markers. Like I, I usually, when I start a process, I have really clear visions of specific moments of like, you know, this end of a scene or this end of an act or the way the lights move through this particular moment. And then it becomes an exercise in stitching those together and finding consistency. Um, so that's just kind of how it works in my brain. Um, I imagine directing is a really hard thing to teach, um, having never done it except on an individual level with other people I'm working with. Mm -hmm. uh, if you have, a, you know, I know other directors who have really codified processes of tabs and color coded and, you know, all kinds of nope. stuff. And my, my artistic brain kind of just doesn't work that way. So it's a, it's a more fluid kind of organic thing for me. And the, the blessing I think is that for me anyway, and I can only speak to my own process is that it allows more space for the other artists when they enter the process. Um, I have a couple things picked out and, and often those things are kind of not malleable because they're, they're pretty entrenched in my head. Mm -hmm. Um, but it does leave a, a, a good amount of room for people to bring their understanding of a character or their arc. Um, and then you kind of, you, you mash all that together and go, how do I make their vision fit with my vision or tweak my vision to accommodate theirs? Um, and that's the exciting part. That's the, you know, rehearsal's the, the best part. That's one of the reasons I shifted from being predominantly an actor to almost exclusively a director and producer is, Rehearsal's the fun part. <laughs> you know, once you once you open, performing is just kind of like you know the dog and pony show. Um, discovery and rehearsing and 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 finding new things with your fellow artists—that's the part that that makes me excited. How important for you is that to have like a group of people that is willing to contribute? Because I mean, I've been involved in processes where the director's been open to ideas, and no one's either willing to share or able to share them. If they I mean, have an idea, you know, the, the, Hey, whenever somebody asks me what the secret to my success is, whatever success that might be is, you know, pick good things and surround yourself with good people. Um, cause that's 90% of it. You know, if you, if you have a great play and great people working on it, you should come out of it with a pretty good product in the end, unless you're really fucking it up. Mm -hmm. Um, <laughs> You know, so I, I, I've been fortunate to not really be in that situation of feeling like I have to pull teeth or, you know, drag people down a road with me because uh, I've been blessed with a, a community here that is full of incredibly talented and imaginative people. That doesn't mean you don't butt heads or disagree or see things in different ways. That's, that's, that's part of the process, too. But um, I, I can't remember a process where... I didn't feel like people were in it to participate, you know? Um, and that's awesome. You know, the, the, the there of course is a line uh, where, where you feel like, okay, that's, that's enough input for today. Um, but it, for the most part, you don't get there too often. Nice. I, I'm, we've only had that, that, that issue that one time. I'm sorry, by the way, that I scratched your car with my keys. That was, uh, you know, you got to express yourself, man. You got to let it out. Yeah, absolutely. That's a lie, folks. That did not actually happen. I'm very, very shy when it comes to those things. <laughs> oh, man. So as 
was there a decision you had mentioned like you went exclusively directing as opposed to theater was it what was that shift for you did you just felt like it was something that was naturally occurring i had more of a director's mindset i wanted to get into that or was it a decision yeah, it, that was made for you it, it both um it, it was i was making it in the sense of being an actor was becoming increasingly frustrating to me um not that i didn't enjoy it i think i'm all right at it i don't you know i'm, I'm not a world beater but i think i'm okay at it mm -hmm. um it just got increasingly frustrating to stand there in rehearsals and not be like, Hey, are, are we really going to do it like this? <laughs> like, um, we're not going to, we're not going to fix this before opening. Um, and, and frankly, I may have actually said that a few times and that probably didn't earn me many points. Um, so that got to the point where it was just, it, it, it was getting less rewarding for me and, and mm. it was interfering with my ability to be creative and my ability to be in the moment. And those things are vital when you're an actor. So part of it was my self-awareness that, that those things were happening. And then part of it was also kind of dictated to me by the fact that our company was growing and it was taking more time. And, and I didn't, you know, the, the day was, you know, I remember we would finish our Betsy show in april or whatever and go away and do the shakespeare festival or whatever was happening in the summer and not really think about it for months at a time and it got to the point where that wasn't an option um and as my role as producer and artistic director expanded the idea of you know being in rehearsal every day and being at performance six days a week just wasn't didn't work with that model. Um, so it was, it was a combination of both of kind of personal awareness and the necessity of growing a company. How, how do you feel the company um, stands with you now as not, not taking into account of what COVID's probably doing to you in terms of not producing stuff, but like, where has it grown for you in this? What season number is this? Uh, we're, well, we've wrapped up our 14th season now. I was going to say we're about to wrap up our 14th season, but I guess we've wrapped it up uh, at this point. Um, yeah, it's, you know, it's grown into this, this fantastic and rewarding uh, mission that we have as far as the kind of plays we do. Um, this group of artists that we work with, um, as a lot of folks watching this probably know my wife Rebecca is our managing director and co-founded the company with me it's been a tremendous personal journey for us to grow this thing together you know in a lot of ways it was kind of our first child um, and you take a lot of pride in that um, you take a lot of pride in the people you've touched you know we got a tremendous email from a longtime subscriber of ours when we announced that the the show was not going to happen and whatnot and you realize that you've been part of someone's life for 14 years and they value you in the same way they value a friend or a family member. And, and that's, mm -hmm. that's really rewarding. And, and it makes you feel like it was worth the effort. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been a, it's been a, a great personal journey. It's not, it's like everything else. It comes with its challenges. Mm -hmm. It comes with its dark days of, good lord what am i doing spending all my time on this and mm -hmm. um the things that you sacrifice uh, that all theater people sacrifice um but that doesn't mean it's not worth it you know it shapes who you are and 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 you know the the current moment is a great reminder of the community you forge you know when when people are needy and when people 
uh, are looking for comfort and looking for contact and you realize how many people you have because they're members of your audience or members of your ensemble or artists that you work with like you or just members of the theater community you know that that means something when you realize that hey that effort that went into that crafted all this and that and that's powerful that's awesome yeah i it's it's when you talk about like receiving that email and really under get a, a different understanding for like the type of i don't know like connection you have to the world outside of your art like people look forward to the season announcements they want to be there on opening night they want to they want to donate when those things happen like if you can if you really by putting forth quality and making yourself available to some of these people who are there for you over and over and over again you really get that sense of community like i think yeah it's in the name community theater but that's that should be like a the mission statement yeah i mean i also think that the the situation you know that we're all experiencing also makes you realize how how broad our impact can really be and 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 to fight the urge to make it insular um you know the theater has always been kind of a a, a semi-closed community and that we practice this kind of weird wizardry the the general population doesn't understand i mean you, you've had this conversation a hundred times i'm sure where you you know you talk to people about what tech is or what you know yeah. and people are just like mystified at the, that this process exists mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. um so we do tend to kind of hunker down into our little community and and rely on each other which is great in its own way but this situation i think reminds us that we have allegiances and we have responsibilities that extend far beyond that. Um, and not that we're not part of the world at large and not that we don't have relationships beyond the theater. Um, but it's just a reminder that, that this little wouldn't owe that we work in is, is not the end all be all. And, and, and there's a big old world out there that we can be a part of. Absolutely. What we do here is, we shed light on a part of the condition. We, we exemplify it, if only for a couple hours an evening when we perform it, but we're still trying to make, make sense of it all when we leave the stage and like, uh, for ourselves, it's not just, yeah, yeah. yeah. a production for is not like an answer. That, that if our human experience is gonna be as rich as it can be, then it needs to be as, as diverse and, and far-reaching as anyone else's absolutely uh, Stephen. um what do you wish that piece of advice was that ghost light was left on for you what do you wish you had heard when you first started out and, and that could be two-tiered like before you when you were a kid playing santa and then when you were like oh i'm gonna open up my own theater company oh i mean you know so i wish somebody had said bren you know <laughs> it's not too but, late you can still run. Um, uh, I don't know. That's a that's a great question. Um, uh, let me let me kind of minimize that a little bit and and say uh, I think that in a microcosm, what the the current COVID experience and and seeing what's happening and seeing the effect that's gonna that's that's gonna have on people and companies and art forms and uh, all kinds of things and thinking about loved ones near and far and how it affects them and, and 
you know, I mean, to really profound things of like, there are going to be people who are meaningful to us who we'll never see again, you know, um, that, that because of the situation, even if someone should get sick, you won't be able to be there, mm -hmm. you know, things like that. And I think that that's a really good reminder that what we do as artists, what we do in the theater is profound, it's important, it has uh, far reaching implications for a lot of people, but it's not the end of the world. You know, at the end of the day, what we do is, is we make plays to give people relief in the world, to, to make the, the journey through life uh, a, a little bit more manageable than it might have been otherwise, or a little deeper, or a little more rich than it might have been otherwise. Um, but the the personal relationships that we have with people, the the friendships and our families and things like that, are still um, the 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 ultimate thing, you know. And I think it's easy when you're in the midst of trying to make a career in the arts to to feel like if you don't give it. 150% that you're not doing it right. And I think it's a good reminder for us as artists to go, yeah, you, that's, that's all well and good, but you can't do that at the expense of living life. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I think a lot of people, uh, this is going to be a real awakening of what it, you know, what it means to smell the roses. Um, because our, particularly in America, our style of life is really caught up in, in this rat race. Um, and we in the theater are, are not exempt from that at all. So, um, you know, if there's something I, I would love someone to have told me or reminded me or just kicked me in the head every now and then and, and, and reminded me, it's, it's that uh, don't take it for granted, you know, to, to, to connect with the people around you, um, to be a member of the big parade and not just our little theater parade. Absolutely. I think you said it best. I mean, the, the relationships in life are important that those for a lot of us that should take precedent. And it's when we're, when we're on stage so often, when we have a question about a moment, we go back to the relationship. Yeah. That's, when, that's fodder. Yeah. That's where you get the good stuff to bring on stage or as a director to, uh, to, to inject into a moment. It's the reality of our, our shared experience that infuses our craft mm -hmm. power. Nice. Well, Stephen, thank you so much for joining us for episode 42 here. My the, pleasure, man. I'm glad I got a good number. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's a strong place to be. Um, before we do our sign off, you still got any TP over at the rehearsal space? I actually, yeah, I'm pretty flush with TP, pun intended. Um, so, you know, if you or any of your uh, viewers uh, get hard up, you let me know. I'm I'm, well, I'm preparing. Well, I got you here. My mom is down to like three rolls. You mind if okay. I steal some? No, I'm I'm game, man. You let me know. We'll set up a pickup. Perfect, perfect. The white market is uh, flowing here at the White's house. <laughs> I will definitely send you a text soon then. All right. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, it is War by the Hypnotic Brass Ensemble. That is our trade theme song as, of, as we continue rolling around the Ghost Lights podcast with your boy Sam Gilstrap and special guests. Stephen White's. Dan, take us out. Cheers, y'all. Be safe. You too.